0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Intellectual Podcast. This is episode number 173. I'm your host, David Dawson, and I'm so glad to welcome you back. Uh, We took a couple weeks off. It's just been too busy. Things have been going crazy around here. Um, But it's no excuse. Shows have to get back up and and running. So uh, we're going to continue with our New York journey in today's episode with... uh, Uh, director, actress, uh, Margaret Grace. He, uh, one of the beautiful things about going to a city that you've never really hung out in before is meeting new people. And then having those new people introduce you to more new people. And Margaret came to me through uh, a friend of Whitney's who we sat down and interviewed, uh, for our super secret project. Um, and she introduced me to Margaret and said, Hey, you know, you should, uh, You should sit down and chat with her. So I did, and it's fantastic. Um, Margaret's a beautiful person, and uh, we had a a really uh, lovely chat um, at a vegan coffee shop in Brooklyn, actually, which is pretty cool. So before we get into that, though, uh, I'd like to remind everybody that The Intellectual has partnered up with uh, the amazing band Halo Circus, who's been a guest on the show twice before. Um, and Halo Circus is currently on their first nationwide tour, um, promoting their new album, their first album, and um, it's wonderful. If you haven't listened to to Bunny, um, you absolutely should. It's on iTunes. Go check it out. Um, Al- Allison Iraheta and Halo Circus just completely freaking rock out on this album, and um, it's a wonderful bilingual album, um, it, and... Even if you don't understand the words, like Allison's feeling just drives these songs forward in a way that uh, is truly inspiring. Um, So Halo Circus is on their first nationwide tour. They're going to be coming to San Diego as the next to final stop on their tour on November 10th um, at 7 p.m. They'll be playing at the Irenic. Um, we're partnered up with them, so we'll be interviewing Halo Circus uh, earlier in the day um, for the podcast and our super secret project. And um, then we'll be joining them at the Irenic that night um, where Creature Canyon and Oslot will also be playing. Creature Canyon, uh, they're an indie rock with a southern twang. They got echoes from the British rock explosion. And Ocelot uh, psychedelic blues rock. And um, it's going to be a really cool night. I mean, these are three really good bands. Uh, the Irenic is a cool venue. Um Tickets are only $10 online right now. They'll be $15 to, at the door. And the whole night is being done um, as a benefit night for the Irenic's Youth Homeless Shelter. So you're encouraged to bring canned food or clothing uh, for the Youth Homeless Shelter. It's going to be really cool. Uh, it's a chance to to give to the community. It's a chance to come enjoy some really great music. And we'll be there, so make sure you say hi to us. Uh, you can check out uh, all the information you need and find tickets at halocircus.com. So we'll see you on November 10th at the Irenic. And on uh, November 3rd, uh, we'll be at Museum of Photographic Arts uh, to MC the Q&As for uh, a focus group's big screening night. Check out that Thursday night uh, this coming week at MOPA at Balboa Park. And uh, information for that is available online. Um, Just uh, take a look at Ryan Castleman's uh, Facebook page or Yvette Angulo's Facebook page and uh, get details there. So, uh, a couple big events uh, coming down the pipeline. And now let's uh, sit down for the chat that I had with Margaret Grace Hee on the 173rd episode of the Intellectual Podcast.
1: Talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. The intellectual podcast starts now. It is Margaret He. Uh, yep, don't know where that last name came from. Still, you don't. No, <laughs> that's
0: uh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, we think it was. We think it was a shortened shortened from like, O'Hey or something, something Irish. Uh, uh but. Oftentimes Like an
0: Ellis Island change or
1: Yeah, like an Ellis Island change. For some reason my family's never been able to track it. Which is odd. <laughs> um but yeah, lots of people think I'm before they meet me, think that I'm Asian. So
0: I was wondering that. Yeah. But I checked I checked your website out. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. not Asian. Yeah. So that's that's fine. Yeah. I don't hold anything against you yeah, for not being Asian. <laughs> Uh, I'm only half Asian myself, so (laughs) I hold no bias.
1: Yeah, I actually had to change my, when I was, I I lived in Chicago before coming here for four years. Yeah. And I was primarily acting and I had to change my sort of like, I guess, stage name from Margaret He to Margaret Grace because I was getting called in for roles that I was like not appropriate for. (laughs)
0: Well, there could be some fun in that though, right?
1: I guess, but I felt, like, wrong, we're so not, I stopped. We're not in the
0: era where John Wayne can play a Chinaman yeah. anymore. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, Scarlett Johansson <laughs> is, like, definitely
0: yeah, and that's definitely a,
1: taking that on full that's force. A, that's so a, it's, a
0: huge letdown. Yeah.
1: yeah. As a
0: fan of that franchise myself, like, I can't believe that they cast her in that role.
1: I know. Ugh. I know. Yeah.
0: So, what is it you do primarily?
1: Well, primarily, uh, primarily right now I'm teaching, actually. But I went to grad school for directing, and that's where Joy and I met. Mm. And um, directing theater, and uh, so yeah, so primarily directing.
0: What is it about it's, directing that made you want to be a director?
1: Uh, well, I um, it's taken me like a long time. It took me a long time to sort of like synthesize how I got. To how I got to this but I I was acting for a long time I got my my BFA in acting um, from the College of Santa Fe New Mexico but before going there I was in a theater program in California that was very much focused on devised work Mm -hmm. uh, which like as a teenager I found very therapeutic and that's what really got me hooked on theater but I didn't I didn't have a term for what it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I decided I was going to pursue a degree in acting. And then I went to do that. And then found that the sort of, um, while the production value and everything was, like, wonderful, the traditional theatrical presentation and being involved in that as an actress I found like mind numbing (laughs) (laughs) and I started directing in undergrad and then when I left I just said you know like I'm gonna try the acting thing I just spent a shit ton of money getting this degree like I'm gonna and I also started a small theater producing entity which was like essentially me doing Sam Shepard plays in my living room with my friends for like three years. Well, you gotta so was, start somewhere. You gotta start somewhere. And like, that's, you can do that in Chicago. Um, Cause you can afford to have a place with like a living room that's like a decent size. <laughs> um, so. I, I
0: take it you can't do that here in New York?
1: No, no. <laughs> um, but so I was doing that and simultaneously pursuing my acting career. And it just felt like every time I would do a play, it sort of felt like a chore. Mm -hmm. Like, showing up to the theater every night four weeks in a row. And then, like, going to commercial auditions where they make you do ridiculous things. (laughs) And so I had a meeting with a mentor of mine who said, you know, if you're going to go to grad school, go now. Um, And so that's how I ended up diving in. And I think what it is is as a director, you have a a lot more... um, you so it does feel like you have in a in a way a bit more control over your own career and you have more autonomy right and um and I feel like I can actually work on projects that um that speak to my values mm-hmm. whereas an actor i mean i don't know I just got out of grad school, so who knows but <laughs> I'm saying all this but but as an actress you just sort of Kind of take anything you can get, right? And it can be very demeaning, especially as a woman. Right. Um, the first audition, the first audition my agent sent me on when I was in Chicago was to be Winona Ryder's body double, yeah. and I showed up in pasties and a g-string. Those were the qualifications, <laughs> and I almost got it too. But it was like, <laughs> is this what I just spent like forty thousand dollars going to school for? So
0: it's weird, right? Like yeah. you spend that much money to essentially become a, like a, just a product.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what yeah. it, and, and that was confusing to me. It was boring. Yeah. It was really boring. Well,
0: I've always found like, cause I'm, I'm more of a, I, I, I direct on the film side. Yeah. Although I, I went to college at Baylor as a theater major. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've done acting and I've, I've been on stage, yeah. but I find acting for stage very challenging because it's that repetition of night after night after night, the same play, the same lines of dialogue over yeah. and over and over again. And I just personally, I don't think I could do that as an actor. Right. <laughs> over and over and over again. And and I defaulted towards tech theater and eventually towards directing and uh-huh. then more into film because I like the constant change and the ability to continually shift gears and try something new. Yeah. And like you said, kind of be more in control of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, taking opportunities, I get to make opportunities.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a big thing for me. And I, when I started my my company, which is like a much different thing now, but I re, but I realized like the creation of opportunities for other artists was really important for mm-hmm. me. And like because it is, it's a, it's a really hard career, and and, well, having- and as a
0: woman, I would imagine. Taking control, building up your own company empowers you to help make better situations for other women in the, in the industry, right I mean yeah. you can tell the stories that are maybe more genuine and true to the female experience
1: I guess so
0: because I personally have a hard time like i I, I very much because I helped raise my two younger sisters mm-hmm. and i 'm very kind of aware yeah um so I'm always trying to empower the women that I work with to, right. to have strength and, and the ability to do things um, and not in any way try to you know push them down or hold them back yeah like I want everybody to kind of spread their wings, but when i'm writing something and I'm writing for a female character. Uh-huh. I get very in my head about it. I'm like, oh, I don't know that I can accurately write for this character because I'm yeah, not a woman. And don't I don't have that
1: experience. It's like,
0: even though yeah. I have some idea, uh huh. you know, it always feels like I'm being false when I'm writing a female character.
1: That's interesting. So
0: it's, it's actually hindered my ability to write a lot lately because huh. I get so up in my head about it. I don't want to, I don't want to misrepresent
1: right. a woman's right. experience. That's interesting. Have you tried, like, have you, I mean, I don't know, like, when you're writing, is it, is it, like, movie scripts you're writing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I wonder if there's, like, a dialogue you could just, like, have with a woman and, like, pull from that.
0: Well, I just engaged um, one of the writers in town. She's a two-time Emmy winner, but Mm. I just engaged her to be my co-writer on a series that I'm writing.
1: That's great.
0: So I'll write all the dark, nasty shit. and yeah. She's going to write the two female leads that I've go. envisioned for this film. And there
1: you go. So we'll
0: have a female voice writing for the female characters. And I'll just kind of guide the story and situations. Yeah. So I think that'll be a nice balance. Yeah. But...
1: Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I guess I never, like... My mom has always been the breadwinner of the family. Mm-hmm. She grew up in a... She was a military brat growing up. And she sort of, like the black sheep of the family ran away and like has made a real career for herself and she's always been my role model and my dad is like an incredible father and so I never grew up with any sort of sense of feeling less than because I was a woman though I see it around me um and so that's never been like until until more recently, because I'm like more aware of the economic mm-hmm. disparity between women and men in my field, uh, I'm more more attuned to it. But that's never been like such a driving force. But I, but I am aware when like if if being asked to select a play, I. Try to make sure, like if I was just gonna select a random play, uh, I lean, I lean more whether regardless of it's like I like it or not, I lean more towards female playwrights, right? Because they're underrepresented, and I think I'm even more so attuned to diversity in respect of like race right and that's sort of higher on my radar i think um but i do like to make sure that the plays pass the bechdel test which is important yeah um yeah
0: what's your favorite play oh my god or who's your favorite playwright
1: this is a great question
0: And it always seems to stump people when I ask.
1: Yeah. I feel like, you know, it's an ever-changing kind of thing. For a long time, it was Sam Shepard. Yeah. Um, And that's actually, my company is called Baby Crow Productions. Mm -hmm. And that's named after a Sam Shepard character in his play Cowboy Mouth. And I think I was attracted to that. And I guess that's like kind of at the core of whatever I do is... You know, a lot of his plays deal with, like, how how do these sort of outsiders and undervalued people survive? Mm. Um, I've definitely, like, gotten over my Sam Shepard obsession, (laughs) thankfully. Um, I can say, like, there are qualities of... I really, like... Um, a playwright named Philip Dawkins uh, who's actually Chicago guy. If you're looking to interview any people for podcasts in Chicago, he would be lovely. (laughs) He's incredibly generous with his writing and he um, uh, creates plays that are accessible to very large audiences both in sort of like racial, economic, gender diversity but also age diversity. Like Mm -hmm grandma could bring her grandson to see the play and they'd still get something out of it and that's really important to me um
0: that's interesting because hollywood's so focused on the 18 to 35 demographic
1: uh yeah you
0: know um but i found watching theater theater tends to be a lot more broad in the in the ageism you know
1: yeah definitely um
0: so I try to go see plays at the Old Globe in San Diego as much uh-huh. as I can. And yeah. we got a pretty vibrant theater community in town that I'm kind yeah. of getting reacquainted with the last couple of years.
1: That's lovely. Um,
0: but yeah, it is interesting, kind of that dynamic shift between theater and, and film.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That film is so focused on young, pretty faces.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: While trying to tell universal stories.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
0: but theater seems to do a better job of telling the universal stories by being less focused on uh-huh. the young pretty face and
1: yeah, I mean
0: being a bit more age appropriate across the board.
1: Definitely, I think more age appropriate. You know, obviously, like as society changes, so do the sort of the sort of challenges that the theater industry faces so it's like either you're going to rise to that challenge or not and I think there's definitely because of what's going on socially in this country I think there's definitely like a real demand on theater to respond to it and I think some companies and artists are much more are rising to the challenge much more effectively Mm -hmm. than others um So, yeah, so I guess age aware, but, I mean, it's still a country where the common, and I guess the common notion when you go into a theater is it's going to be a bunch of white people on stage in the living room, and that's okay. (laughs) And so... That's true. That's, like, slowly and painfully slowly changing.
0: Um, Well, like, you know, I live in San Diego. We have a huge Latin population. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, you go to the theater. It's still predominantly white people yeah. performing.
1: Yeah, and I think it. I think it.
0: Not to poo-poo any of my friends who are listening to the show right, right. now. Right. Just, you know, it's the truth.
1: Yeah, and I think I I, I was always sort of hyper aware of it because I my mom my mom because she was a military brat it kind of never got out of her system so we moved around a lot mm-hmm. and I ended up living in a. In communities I wouldn't have otherwise where I actually was the minority, which was probably the best thing that I could have that could have ever happened to me. So, like, that was that was my world. That was my expectation. Yeah. And I never really respond like. There is there's a lot of uh, plays that people sort of worship that I just don't respond to. In the same way. And I think that's uh, maybe my moral compass, but a lot having to do with like how mm. I grew up.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it, it's interesting. I, my dad was military uh-huh. uh, when I was real young. And then he went into nuclear power afterwards. And oh, wow. So we bounced around a bunch of different power plants all over the country when I was little. And I remember we ended up in Ohio for a while. My dad grew up in Indiana. But we ended up in Ohio for a few years. And I was the only colored kid in my class. Mm. It's like second grade.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And of course, at that age, kids don't really... Right. Kids don't have racism built into them. Right. You know, it just doesn't really exist that way. Right. So I didn't notice, but my dad did. Uh Uh-huh. And he started to worry. And so he made a very concerted effort to move the family to California mm. because he wanted us around other mixed race kids, yeah. um, other ethnicities, Asians, blacks, yeah. you know, uh, Spanish, Spanish, Mexican, whatever. And so I grew up very multicultural Yeah, and I didn't really become aware of the fact that I'm not white mm. or not, just me mm-hmm. until I moved to Texas for college Interesting. and yeah. uh, the first time I got pulled over by a state trooper and had the contents of my car emptied out on the side of the highway for no reason other than it was racial profiling uh, I just was blissfully unaware yeah. of any of that really
1: Right.
0: because um, growing up my friends were all, all sorts of races and yeah. colors and it just it didn't matter yeah. You know? And then suddenly I'm in central Texas and the state troopers are talking to me in Spanish, which I don't speak a lick of because mm-hmm. I'm half Filipino. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's like, I'm half Filipino, but you know, they, they, right. all, they all think I'm Mexican and uh, you know, they all figured I was a drug runner driving through these nice neighborhoods or whatever. Uh
1: huh. Uh huh.
0: So, it's very interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't. I generally I don't see race usually, mm-hmm. um, so when I'm casting films and stuff, mm-hmm. I'm always just kind of looking for the best person for the part.
1: Right, right.
0: But there's like pressure to like specify certain characters will be a certain race or whatever, and I uh-huh. I kind of kind of hate going the other direction too. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's
1: yeah, it's tricky. It's I weird. think. I mean, one of my so one of my favorite playwrights is actually. A guy I went to school with. His name is Reese Thompson. And he um, he and I... What's wonderful about the new school is the playwriting and directing programs are really small. So there were only three playwrights and three directors. So that oh, allowed wow. us to... To really collaborate. Yeah, which was really lovely. And Reese, um, he is also half Asian. And he... Uh, a lot of his pieces deal with what does it mean to sort of be st- stuck between cultures? Mm-hmm. And like, what does it mean to be American now? Right. You know, which I think is like what we're really being confronted with. It's like, how can we, how can we deport a bunch of people when the fact is we all came here from somewhere else?
0: Yeah. The only people who are natives are all stuck on reservations yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Treated like third class citizens.
1: Exactly. It's Yeah. Um, he, he wrote this play for his thesis called Cracker, which was sort of like the world flipped up on its head. And, um, there was a white supremacist cult and these three kids, Joy was one of the, one of these kids who escapes this cult and they run off into this world and they're adopted by this interracial gay couple. It was really, it was really fabulous, but I I find myself, like, in the same mindset of just, like, casting who's ever best for the part, but also, especially as a white woman, being color conscious, you know, like, because there are things that could be perceived based off how I'm, how I'm casting. And generally, I just, like, I do make it a point to just cast, like, as many different races of people as I can. Right. Like, for my thesis, there was a Brazilian girl, there were two black people, there was one white girl, you know, like, and it was a family. It was supposed to be a family. Um, and uh, I just wanted to cast, like you said, like, whoever's best for the part. But I also just, like, yeah, I just can't stand seeing a bunch of white people on stage. <laughs> it's interesting. I don't know
0: It's um, it, I remember when I was young My mom My mom got a job somewhere She, she was totally unqualified for it mm-hmm. But she got the job because she was a woman mm. It was all the affirmative action stuff mm. And I think I was Maybe eight or nine at the time And It just rubbed me wrong Like there were qualified people for the job that she went out for, Mm. but there was some quota that needed to be met. Mm. And so she got this job that she only ended up having for like two months. And then, you know, she lost it because she had no business being in the position, you know. So I just, it's like a support, you know, equal equality across the board. Yeah. But I think there's there's still gotta be some balance to it, you know? Where you're oh, not absolutely. just handing off stuff absolutely. to people who don't actually belong yeah. in, the, in the part.
1: Yeah, and I don't think
0: And that's a wider issue than
1: it's a wider casting issue. For absolutely. Your, for your parts. And I don't but, think like I've heard a lot of people responding to that, a lot of white people responding to that, like up in arms about not getting into schools mm-hmm. because they're white, you know. And there's still, there's still, like, if you look at the numbers, there's still a huge disparity between, right. you know. Right. So I don't think it's, I don't know. It's a big, it's a, it's big, a, big, it's issue. a big issue. I go out to, I teach out in um, Canarsie. So I go out there every day and uh, it's 88% black. I'm like the only, and and I, and I do wonder if I'm, I love working with the kids. Mm-hmm. And I wonder sometimes, though, am I intentionally putting myself... Am I intentionally putting myself in this position so I can experience what the, this this group of individuals has experienced for centuries? Which is being the only black person in the room, right? Yeah. So... I want to know. Well, I, it's, think, it's, it's I think as a
0: storyteller, as a director,
1: yeah, I,
0: I think whether we realize we do it or not, I think we do that sort of stuff to ourselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. We
0: put ourselves in positions to experience stuff so yeah. we can understand and, yeah, hopefully been, then be able to turn around and and educate and enlighten other yeah, people.
1: Absolutely, it's been really hard to like. I remember I have a I had a teacher in school who asked us about to talk about how. How our narrative influences the work that we create, and I was really like nervous, and I like couldn't because he's like this hotshot director. He's like fabulous. He's like this fabulous human being, but uh, he, I couldn't, like, I could, I, I couldn't talk about why my what my narrative was, why it was interesting, or what it was. How it was speaking, I always felt like i was i used theater as sort of an escape right and uh so it took me a while to to identify that the the fact the fact that i had that I had moved around so much and been just just uh because it was like confusing to me that my sort of immediate response to like when casting or when choosing a play is to try and subvert the audience's sort of preconceived expectations about what they're going to see. Mm-hmm. It's like, why is that? And I was like, Oh, maybe it's because like I didn't have, I had a lovely, like I had a lovely childhood. My parents, like we weren't wealthy by any means, but like I was comfortable. My parents split up. We had like, you know, stuff, but it wasn't like, um, but it wasn't a traditional American. Like I didn't grow up in a in small town America, so right. I think it was just like trying to paint a world. Because to me, everyone was equal, right? My growing up, like my best friend was Korean. For some, like I I hung out with all the Vietnamese kids. Grow like in elementary school, middle school, that was like that's I think it was because my nanny growing up was Vietnamese so um but I actually speak Vietnamese in my sleep which is an odd thing really? I can't speak it in reality <laughs> but I'll like count in, v- in Vietnamese it's very strange um Buried but yeah to paint the this as of
0: your childhood yeah, mind
1: <laughs> yeah to like paint this world for people to be like this is actually like this can exist like a world where everyone is like actually on a day-to-day basis like on a person-to-person basis Equal economics is another Thing that like has to be tackled on a much Like larger level Right that I'm not going to fix with my plays But yeah well
0: Not going to fix overall but Yeah if we can get A few people to start thinking Outside of their yeah. their, their typical box
1: Absolutely
0: even to Absolutely. just start The narrative with a couple of people Yeah you know it's that It's that whole spider web you Yeah three people thinking differently from one of your plays and two mm-hmm. of them go talk to a couple of their friends.
1: Right. Before
0: you know it, you've influenced the discussion with 20, 30 people. Yeah. So, uh, so it's a weird thing that I didn't think about when I was younger making films, but I'm starting to think about as I get older mm-hmm. is that kind of web of influence that mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. we put out there has.
1: I mean, film has a much wider, like much bigger net it can cast, which I think is cool.
0: Yeah, it can. It can. (laughs) It can also have a very small audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But it's interesting you you say how our personal narrative affects our storytelling. Mm Because, like, from the outside, people would think I had the, you know, grew up in the suburbs and, Mm -hmm. you know, nice, happy home until Mm -hmm. my parents divorced Mm -hmm. and whatever. Mm -hmm. But... You know, the reality is, I was an alcoholic in the third grade.
1: In the uh, third grade? Yeah, I was doing
0: drugs by the time I was in the fourth grade.
1: Whoa. And I was completely
0: sober by the time I hit junior high, you know, and quit cold turkey and, you know, went through all of this stuff kind of on my own.
1: How did that happen?
0: Well, when your parents go in to separate and they aren't paying attention to you, bad things happen. Doesn't matter wow. where you are, bad things will find it's young, you. young, yeah. Know? So, yeah. I had, I had a difficult childhood. And then in the last. 15 years or so you know I've lost people close to me like on on average one close person a year has wow. died in the last 15 years Wow! so it's been a lot of heartache and grief and yeah. so as my films have matured and as I've grown more confident in my own storytelling mm-hmm. I've drifted away from comedies mm-hmm. and all of the films that I've been doing the last couple of years are you know about grief and sorrow yeah. and <laughs> Overcoming sadness
1: mm-hmm. You should read this it's play interesting You should read this play that I directed uh, the Joy was in it uh, It's called Failure, A Love Story And it's essentially like How do we continue to celebrate life In the face of continual and unending loss It's really beautiful
0: It's called Failure, A Love Story? Mm-hmm Yeah, I'll I'll send
1: you. I have the script. I'll send it to you. Oh, that'd
0: be that'd be wonderful. It's
1: really beautiful, and it's it's nice because it's sort of like any community and any number of people can do it. Um, But I think it speaks to yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's interesting.
0: So, what do you have on the horizon for you right now?
1: Well, so I've so I spent the summer teaching a lot. Uh, I really wanted to focus on that because I didn't want to be a waitress anymore. (laughs) And uh, which has been great. And actually, um, I realize more and more how much I love it. And I feel like I don't want to say too much too soon, but I feel like my affinity towards working with uh, younger generations is like growing more and more. And that might become like my focus. Yeah. Um, Maybe I feel that way because that's what people are paying me to do. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, I'm not sure, but I also, like, am very aware that the voice of our younger generation is, like, severely undervalued, Mm -hmm. and our older generation, too. So I'm really interested in working with those communities. Um, So right now, I'm assistant directing a play... uh, Generated by this company called The Mad Ones. They do a bunch of devised theater surrounding sort of American nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And they're doing this play called Miles for Mary at the Bushwick Star. And uh, one of my mentors, Lila Neugebauer, is directing. So I'm assisting her on that, which has been cool because they're very uh, text-based in their devising process. Um, so that's been really helpful for me. Uh And then in October, I leave for California because I'm going to teach for two months at my old high school.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, What part of California? The Bay Area, Marin County. Nice. Um, So I'll be, yeah, where it all started. So that'll be cool. I was actually kind of like when my parents split up and I moved to California, I was kind of a mess up kid too. Like at a bit of, I was 12. And then my mom stuck me in theater camp. And it shaped me up And that's like (laughs) I was in a production Of West Side Story And then like From then on um, on You had your focus Yeah Um, So I'll be there And then things Are sort of like Up in the air I might be assistant Directing a play uh, Called Native Son At at Marin Theatre Company There's a lot On the horizon for, For For my company Baby Crow Productions That we're sort of Trying to hash out What the direction Is there yeah, it's. In, I don't know. I I I don't love living in New York City.
0: You're the first person to say that out loud <laughs> really? while I've been here.
1: Yeah, I don't... Um, Actually,
0: somebody last night was literally saying to me, oh, this German couple that were staying at this Airbnb, they're like, we've not met anybody who does not love living in New York. I, I was just, like, I'm sure there's somebody somewhere. I
1: just don't. I think it's because, like, in a way... Not... Not money-wise, but like environmentally, I've been very spoiled in terms of where I live. Like I lived in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, and Mm -hmm. I lived in Marin County, and I went to school in New Mexico. So like,
0: you like to be surrounded by some nature? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I feel like hungry for it. Yeah. And I was fortunate this summer to like, I was in Colorado, I was in you know upstate New York. Like I was able to, but I. But now that I've been back, and now that I'm not sort of in the bubble of grad school, I'm like what is this life in this I miss concrete seeing mountains. Jungle. Like it's yeah. it's fun
0: to see the skyscrapers, but I miss seeing mountains. Oh. I've only been here twelve days now. It's rough. But like you know, I, I miss I miss the horizons. Yeah. That, that we have back on the West Coast.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You know. And it feels like like I'm not like a religious person in any respect, but like when I feel most sort of connected and I guess spiritual in a sense is when I'm in nature and I feel like yeah. So I'm sorting through that reality. And, like, right now I have a life where I can leave New York for periods of time and come back. And so.
0: Just do that bi-coastal thing.
1: Yeah, we're trying to figure out my boyfriend. He lives here with me. And he is a restaurant guy but, like, doesn't want to open a restaurant here in New York. So we're just trying to figure out, like, what is home base.
0: Right. Adulting.
1: Adulting. <laughs> totally adulting. I mean we've got it like everything's like for living in New York we're doing pretty well, but it's still tricky. Yeah. It's yeah. Tricky. Yeah. yeah. I,
0: I I don't know how anybody does it living yeah. here. Like I just I hear how much rents are and whatever and it's freaks me out it's
1: crazy everybody
0: complains about rent in San Diego I'm like this, yeah nothing compared to here.
1: yeah I mean we've we've worked out we live really close to here and we have a two-bedroom and we have a friend living in the second bedroom so like for me financially I'm paying like nothing basically to live in New York which is amazing but like then we daydream about oh what would our life be like if we move back to Chicago and we'll like Craigslist Chicago apartments and it's Painful. It's like the quality <laughs> of living there is so different, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's tricky.
0: Yeah, where, where I live in San Diego, we have a front yard and a backyard, That's and so it's nice. a four bedroom house. <laughs> That's you know. lovely. So it's really nice. Two car garage, yeah. the whole bit. Yeah. We don't have public transportation. <laughs> right. But I have a really nice Prius, and.
1: Yeah. I'm like really likes riding the subway anyways i mean like let's be real
0: (laughs) that's what i was thinking coming down from the bronx yesterday i was like it's taking me an hour and a half to go three miles
1: yeah oh yeah i mean going out uh i always struggle saying this word canarsie i always want to say conars canarsie so i go there every day and like it's four miles away If I was a better, more adept bike rider, I probably should just get a bike. Sometimes (laughs) it takes me an hour and a half. Yeah. And part of it is just the transit system. Once you get out there, it's like a forgotten neighborhood. Right. So there's no rhyme or reason to when the bus is going to come. And it's like.
0: (laughs) The land that public transit forgot.
1: Yeah. I mean, the school is in a transit dead zone, like completely, you know. Which is, which is, you know, (laughs) shows you the disparity in the city, but yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I hope you figure out where you want to be and that it is perfect for you. Yeah. I hope so too. Comes together.
1: I hope so too. I mean, the
0: fantastic thing for you is there are restaurants everywhere. Yes. And teaching opportunities most everywhere. Mm
1: -hmm. So. Yeah. We'll figure it out. And certainly
0: theaters everywhere. Uh, yeah. To varying degrees,
1: yeah, I think that's the thing is I also am a big proponent of of building theater communities in areas where there's not as much mm-hmm. and also generating theater with with communities, not necessarily just like bringing theater to them, like generating work with them and addressing things that they're they're concerned about right um and uh well, wow, there's just so much theater here already. So. Yeah, yeah. Though I guess I could like start a theater company in Canarsie. Because <laughs> there's no theater out there.
0: I see the wheels spinning.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, maybe we can reconnect sometime down the road.
1: Yeah, that'd be uh, great. If
0: you're in California.
1: Yeah, I, I go to the
0: Bay Area occasionally. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm probably going to be coming back to New York a oh, bit more cool. frequently in the in the future
1: lovely
0: so let's uh reconnect have you yeah. back on see where things have fallen definitely and uh you know catch up and
1: definitely
0: Nicole, thank you for for chatting with me yeah
1: thanks for coming to this vegan donut shop
0: i love that i love that it's a vegan donut shop i, know.
1: It's so I had cool. no
0: idea that's what I we're <laughs> what i'm so suggested. glad that
1: you're vegan <laughs> yeah, like what a great excited. like super serendipitous
0: I usually go to the coffee shops. I'm like, no, yeah, I'm good. I'll, yeah. I'll pass. But I was like, vegan donuts? <laughs> yes. Burger's
1: like super vegan aware. There's this diner near here called Champs. I went there with my boyfriend the other day because he was like super hungover. He's like, I just want a burger. We went there not knowing it was vegan. <laughs> Definitely got like a bean patty and was disappointed. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. So you check it out.
0: <laughs> cool. Yeah. Hello there, citizens. I am the terror that flaps in the night. I am the floaty that will not flash, no matter how many times
1: you try. In the toilet bowl of crime, I am Darkwing Duck. Telling you, please talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. (laughs) Whatever the heck that means. After all, you are watching intellectual podcast with your ears.